I'm excited for this year. I'm also feeling a bit nervous. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but um, yeah, what, you know, if I, if I had to ask some of you even now, who of you are a bit hesitant to starting off? Who of you a bit more? Uh, you know, I can wait another week or two. Can just slowly get into the swing of things. Which which side are you? Who who's like that? Who's feeling like that? You feel more reluctant. You you, you want to enjoy the holiday. You want to drag it out as long as you can because you know what awaits. Okay. <laughs> are you talking about school? <laughs> and then the other side of it. Who's who's ready for this year? Yeah. Who's had enough holiday? Who's sick of their holidays? <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure a lot of parents are like, can't wait for school so my kids can get out and, and work and then I can go to work and do... Uh, yeah, I'm sure there's both sides of this. And uh, I know some of the guys have had to work over the December time so they haven't had a holiday. Hey, Jean. Hey, Corin. And other Jean. <laughs> and so... You might feel, well, your holiday's still coming somewhere in the year. But, um, yeah, it's, I'm excited for this year. I, I do have a bit of preservation. I do have a bit of, sure, God, what have you got in store for us? And it's, and it's not because it's like, it's like you you're anticipating this is this is a faith thing that we're doing that we're living by and so you don't know what faces us this year you don't know the challenges but um i was just preparing just in my heart and uh almost feel like i've been praying i had a scripture that that i just wanted to ponder on this 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 evening and it's more to prepare us spiritually and with the word but almost like to get your attention almost like to come to the point uh, I don't know if you've ever been in the army. I, I wasn't in the army, but I did go to cadets, and I remember the guys used to stand attention. You know, it's like this. And, uh, we've been on holiday. We've been at ease, if I can say it like that. But it's like I, I'm hoping that even tonight, it's almost like God saying, "Okay, I want your attention." It's you know, the, the jaw is over. <laughs> the the holidays are finished. The we've got a year ahead of us, and it's actually realizing we're engaged in a war. This year, as we face it, it's to know, to come to the knowledge, actually, we're in a war. We've, we've got a fight to fight. We've, we've got a race to run. And uh, as we face 2024, let's set our, our faces as flint. Let's set ourselves ready for, for what God has in store for us. And uh, in that, there's a, it's kind of, I'm hoping even tonight, just to get your attention, like to stand to attention. Have you ever, you ever wondered why they have that thing, stand to attention? Uh, or, or be at ease, you know, kind of thing. I always wondered, didn't understand the point of it. But if you think of it, it's a posture, it's a military posture ready to receive the command of the Lord. It's ready to receive what your commanding officer has for you. And your posture of standing attention is, okay, I'm listening. I'm giving you, excuse the pun, my undivided attention. This is, I'm ready for, for the commission. And I, I really felt that for us this evening is just to be ready. And Paul, Paul uses this quite often. In a lot of his letters, in, uh, I, I, you don't have to go there quickly, but uh, Galatians 6.4 uh, and Ephesians 5.15, he says, pay careful attention. In fact, when he commissions Timothy, he's, you know, he says, uh, I charge you, I commission you. He has, he has the commission to go. And, and, he, and he gives him all these duties of an elder. 
And, but I want to go to 1 Timothy 1, verses 18 to 19. You can put that scripture on for me. And this is Paul talking to Timothy. He says, This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage a good warfare, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith and have suffered shipwreck. And I really feel that's the title of my message, is to wage a good warfare. And as we face this year, that's, that's what I'm praying for, that we wage a good warfare, that we fight the good fight. And uh, in doing so, I, I, just, I just realized, you know, it's almost like you've got to prepare yourself for this thing. It's, it's not just, doesn't just happen. Um, but also, we need to realize that there's a commissioning. As Paul says to Timothy, I charge you. I charge you. I've, I've commissioned you. Um, and, and, and this is the funny thing is we're all volunteers, we, we volunteers. We, yes, Timothy, he, he volunteered himself. Remember when even doing things that Paul had instructed him to do, you know. But, but we are volunteers. This, every single one of you, have, you've, you've bought into church. You've bought into, this is where I feel God's called me to. Josh, Jen, George, PM, this is, this is the body that Christ has, has knitted me into. And I'm giving myself to this. And so there's a sense in which you have devoted, like Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves, okay? And so it's, it's kind of funny that Paul, with, with that knowledge, with the fact that we are volunteers, Paul still doesn't subtly come to Timothy and say, you know, would you, would you please do me a favor? <laughs> or can you do this? Um, no, you know, do this in, can you do this on your own free will? Or, you know, he kind of, he doesn't leave it as a suggestion. I can put it like that. He, you know, can you do this, Timothy, at your earliest convenience, you know, when it fits with you, when it suits you? No, he says, I command you. <laughs> this has the commission. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of, as I looked at that, I thought, you know, it's quite st- strange that, that Paul would do this. But, but, but he, he's, he, not, he acknowledges the fact that, yes, we are volunteers. He acknowledges the fact that we have all volunteered in this army, but there's still a command. And the reason for that is it's important. It's important that we in sync as an army of God because an army doesn't follow in its own wills and its own whims. Imagine if it did that, you know. And so Paul gives this commission to Timothy and, uh, and he tells him of his responsibility. <clears throat> now, this is the thing. I want to say part of the commissioning that God gives us is God has commissioned even this, he's instituted this beautiful thing called the church. And with that, he's instituted elders. With that, he's instituted deacons. With that, he's instituted leaders. And so there is a command. There's a command. First of all, our commanding officer is Jesus. And within that, he's, he's structured a body, this beautiful thing called the bride, the army of God. And with that, he's, he's placed elders to give commands to give instructions, to give, like Paul says to Timothy, I command you, rebuke, encourage, exhort, what for? For the, for the body's sake. And uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes, I mean, I've been in situations, especially with leaders, that I haven't always agreed with. How many of you have been there? Come on, I've been there. But, uh, you know, it's, and it's not always necessarily a case of theology. It's just character. It's just personality differences. Have you ever had that? You're just like, yes, man, I battle to follow this guy because he's so indifferent to me. We face that. And um, 
I'm, I'm reminded of the series. I don't know if you guys ever watched this army series called The Band of Brothers. And uh, I used to watch them in the holidays with my sons. We used to just go through the whole series. But I remember one of the seasons where, where the lieutenant was training up Easy Company, which was a com- company of guys that, uh, that would go into battle. And this was his company of guys that he had to train up. And, and he wasn't the best lieutenant. He wasn't this nice guy. He was actually quite a horrible guy. But he drilled them and drilled them and drilled them. But he also wasn't a good leader. And he couldn't follow maps and all the rest of it. Eventually, one of the guys that were actually his uh, subordinates, he actually came to a place where he, he rose up to a place of command, where he actually passed the, the lieutenant in his authority. And so he actually became a captain. And I remember watching the series where the lieutenant would, now the guy that was his subordinate now is higher ranked than him. And every time he sees him, he would kind of like, kind of go like this so he didn't have to salute him because he didn't like him and I remember him pulling the guy aside and says hey you know he calls his name and I forgot the guy's name but he calls him and he says come here and and, and he salutes the captain salutes him and uh and the guy eventually has to like salute back this is my captain and I remember the words that he said he said you know you salute the rank not the man and you know there's going to be times in in this army where God's going to call us. And it doesn't always have to be that you have everything in common with the guy leading. But there's a sense that I know God has chosen him to, to lead this army. I know there's a sense in which God has commissioned him, and he's just the guy there. And there's been times where I've had to salute, even where I haven't agreed with where that person is. But I've also realized God's saying, but I've put him there. I've, I've commissioned him the same way I'm commissioning you. And so I, without this structure, without this army that I've instituted, lieutenants, captains, whatever, in the place that you're submitting actually to me. And the Bible says, submit to leaders and those in authority. And I know it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a hard word as you, as you read that. But anyway, so Paul says this, and he carries on. I'm going ahead of myself, yeah? <clears throat> but he says this. He says, uh, let me just quickly go back to the scripture. Have you got it there? I says, uh, I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you. Okay, so here Paul talks about this commissioning, this command, but he also talks about prophecies that were given to Timothy personally. I want to say this. You know, every single one of us, I I hope most of you here have been given prophecy, given prophetic word, given direction, purpose that what God has for you. And there's a sense in which, yes, we are one, we, but there's also a personal commissioning that God gives you as an individual. Now, I know in Josh Jane we often talk about the corporateness, but sometimes we forget about the individual calling and how that fits in with the bigger picture. And so as I was reading the scripture, and this is where maybe some guys get it wrong when it comes to prophetic words. Because here it says... Um, the prophecies previously made concerning you. Now that word concerning you, Paul's saying, look, Timothy, you've got prophecies concerning you. It's about you. But um, that word epi, uh, concerning you is epi. It's, it's, it's actually a preposition. And what he's saying is, you know, Timothy, there's prophes- prophecies given you, but um, it's kind of things that are concerning you, but it's actually not for you. It's about God working through you, but you are not the beneficiary. And sometimes people don't see this. As we've been commissioned, 
we see, okay, this is my prophetic word, and I feel all good about it. Let me take this prophetic word and run it, almost like isolated from the body. But actually, this is concerning you, but it's for a greater book. good. It's not for you. You are not the beneficiary. The church is the beneficiary. You hear, you hear what I'm saying? And we see this. I mean, that's why, you know, sometimes we, as an individual, we see our prophetic word, and we think, oh, this makes me feel good. I'm the man of the hour. I'm, you know, I'm the guy chosen. <clears throat> And um, we need to understand that we need to first seek first the kingdom, you know. Ephesians 4, it says this, this about, and th- this applies to all giftings that God gives us. What does it say? And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, teachers for what? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for what? For the edifying of the body. So in other words, it's not for you. The prophetic words, the words of encouragement, yes, it's there to, to build you up in the faith, but for the purpose that the body ultimately is built up. And so as we come together, I'm, I'm really feeling that, you know, just in that, that God collectively brings us to one place that we move strategically as one. You see, if everybody's running at their own mission as an individual, oh, it's my prophetic word, this is my thing, and you're the beneficiary of it, we're never going to move as one. You've got to see the purpose of your gift, the purpose of that prophetic word. <clears throat> Otherwise, you're going to become the man of the hour. Otherwise, you're the one that's going to be lifted up. Otherwise, you're going to have a savior complex. And it's not about you. You're not the hero of the story. Jesus is. Now, just to bring us back into the context of warfare, Paul is saying this to Timothy. Don't forget the gift that's within you. The prophetic word was for you as an individual. God gave it to you because only you can fulfill this within the body. And I've given it to you, Timothy. But just realize that that gift is not an individual gift. It's there for the purpose of building us up. And that's why I'm praying for this year that even, even us as elders, as Bob and John and, you know, as guys, that, that we hear what God has called you to. And even that you come to us and say, you know, I'm really feeling this in the Lord. This is... It's what God's given me. And part of that is us finding with you what is that commissioning? What is the keys? You know, Jesus said, the keys are given me, therefore go. All authority is given me. And so it's like finding individual keys. What's God got for JP? What's God got for Monet? You know? And, and it's in that that, we, that you release, that you're not disobedient, that you're hearing the Lord. And, uh, yeah, that's what I'm praying for, really, strategically, that we, that we move as one. <clears throat> you see, it's in that... That there's strategy. You know, it says wage a good warfare. Now, that rage a good warfare, that good warfare is actually a noble war. Wage a noble war. And this is the key here. The word here for the, the Greek is stratio, which is where you get the word strategy from. So Paul's saying to Timothy, listen, wage a good warfare. You've got to fight. Be strategic. Be specific. Be, I've got intentions of how this must play about. And uh, you see, this is where campaigns come in. Have you ever thought about World War? for instance. World War didn't just, you know, the Americans and the British and the Allies didn't just win the war. There were strategic campaigns that took place, battles that took place that were won in order to win the war. And uh, there's, when I talk about that, so Paul is saying there's particular um, battles that have to take place, particular campaigns that have to take place. And uh, Sometimes we think it's just about muscle, it's just about brawn, it's just about the firepower. No, it's also about strategy. 
Because if you can go in with all the muscle and still get taken up because your strategies aren't right. And so Paul's saying, be aware of that in the campaign. You see, it's, it's in this th- that we work together. There's a collectiveness in, in, in campaigns. You know what a campaign is? I think I've, a campaign, I, I was reading it up, it consists of a series of military operations intended to achieve a particular objective, confined to a particular area We're involving specific types of fighting and specific people who are gifted in certain areas. That's what a campaign is. And isn't that what Ephesians 3.10 says? It talks about that through the church, it's the manifold wisdom of God is made known to rulers, authorities, and heavenly places. So when we declare war in the heavenlies, when we're fighting in the heavenlies, there's the manifold wisdom of God that takes place. There's each individual who does his part. Together, collectively, we... Make up the manifold wisdom of God through the church. But it's strategic campaigns. In doing that, we are warring against the enemies. <clears throat> and so we, we have to have a specific objective in the Lord. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 2.11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, we are not to be ignorant of his devices. Now the same way we should be intentional an objective in our strategies, like Paul is saying, we also have to be aware of the enemy's strategies. See, that's what it's saying. Be, be purposeful, but understanding his strategies, his schemes. That word uh, is no matter, which is his schemes, his thoughts, his purposes. And I think you need to understand that th- this about the enemy. Sometimes we look at the enemy, you know, he hates us. He, he hates you with everything because, in a sense, you are God's image you are a representative of the kingdom. You are a representative of God himself, really. And uh, you carry the fragrance of Christ. You even smell like Christ. And with that, the enemy hates you. He, he hates everything about you. But this is the key. Even though he hates you, he's still very intentional. He doesn't let his anger outwit his thought processes. And so with that, he's very aware of how to attack us. Have you ever noticed that? He, he never... You know, when things are going right, it's all right. But when you're down, you're down. And that's when you get kicked. Have you ever faced that? When everything goes wrong, it's when you're down. That's how the enemy works. He doesn't, he's aggressive. He's everything in him. And I think we need to understand this warfare. Is, we can't be passive Christians when we're having this war. We've got to realize the enemy's aggressive. But even in that, I think we've got to be aware that Satan isn't there to just attack your body. We think sometimes... You know, we often hear that, that the, you know, it talks about the enemy comes to what? Rob, kill, and destroy. But we look at that merely in the flesh. We sometimes think it's just disease, sickness, or attacks. You know, ultimately, what Satan wants is not really your body. It's what? It's your faith. That's ultimately what he wants. Because in 2 Corinthians 5, 6, you know, when Paul's, is it that scripture? Yeah, when he talks about, you know, to be present with the Lord... Is to be absent with the body, and to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. In other words, if Satan, let's face it, if Satan had to take out John now, you've given your life to the Lord, you've given him everything, where's he going to be in that scripture? He's going to be with the Lord instantly. So strategically, he's not going to want to just take out John. That's not his purpose. His purpose is make sure that John doesn't get to God. The faith is what he's concerned about. It's not John's body. Ultimately, your body is important to him. It's secondary. But his main objective is your faith. And I think sometimes we, 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 we don't look at it correctly like that. And, and 
Jesus says this to Peter in Luke 22, verses 31 to 32. He says this, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your what? Your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. See, Jesus understood that Satan was after Peter's faith. Wasn't that like the same with Job? What did he, what did he do? He tested Job. How? Well, he took his family, his kids, his possessions. Even Job himself, his body was full of boils and stuff. He went through a hardship. But ultimately, it was to test his faith. It was to, to make sure, hey, can I, can I take this from Job? Remember that. And it's the same with us. You know, when Satan wants to test us, those things that we go through, we've got to see them as the means in which he tries to take your faith away. You see, Satan can't just take your faith. This is the key. You've got to give it. You've got to give it away. you actually got to... Let's go back to that scripture where Paul says, verse 19, it says, having, a, having faith and a good conscience which some have rejected concerning the faith that have suffered shipwreck. So what Paul's saying is, look, people get to a point where Satan's testing, testing. Eventually, you actually push your faith aside. Say, ah, I don't want part of this. You reject your faith. Satan can't take your faith. You can reject it. And this is very key in understanding because there's two things in our spiritual warfare that we have with the Lord. It's our faith and good conscience. That's how we wage a good warfare. It's understanding our faith and our good conscience. Now, what I want to say about this is that Paul uses a, a nautical term when he talks about being shipwrecked. He's very articulate when, he, when he's writing this, when he's penning this. And I was reading some commentaries, and one of the guys said, you know, faith in a good conscience is the very thing that stabilizes us. If you think of it in a nautical term, you think of it like a ship. Your, your soul is the ship. Your faith and your good conscience is the ballast, the very thing that anchors your ship from moving around. You know what a ballast is? Who, who knows nautical stuff? So a ballast is inside of a ship. So when a ship is going through heavy waves and heavy winds, it has what they call a ballast, which is a, is a tank inside the ship that fills up with water to stop the ship from just rocking around. And so Paul's saying, look, you've got to have the faith and a good conscience. Those are the ballasts that you, you take up in the Lord. And it keeps you from getting knocked around by every wind and doctrine that hits you. And so Paul's saying we, we need to be fight this good faith. But knowing the enemy's going to come and he's going to pound on you. And he's going to hit you. And he's going to come with everything he can. But your faith and good conscience towards the Lord is what's going to keep you. You guys with me? It's important that we understand this. Because this is what it is to wage a good warfare. <clears throat> And Paul's saying uh, some people have actually rejected that ballast. They've actually rejected the faith and a good conscience toward the Lord. And in doing so, they've emptied themselves of the things of God. They've emptied themselves of God. And they filled it with their own things, their own pleasures. And so how do we fill our ballast? How do we fill ourselves with the things of God? Well, in, in Romans 10 verses 17, so, so then faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing the Word of God. So we know the Word that we've got to receive inside of us. It's the word that we read. It's believing. It's, it's taking it in. Even the prophetic word that Paul said to Timothy, hear that prophetic word spoken of. You receive it. It's God's word over you. And so that's what stirs our faith. I want to quickly read um, 1 Peter 1, 6 verse 9. 
In this greatly rejoice that through for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, uh, though it tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him yet believe, you rejoice with joy, expressibly and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. And I love that picture. It's almost like the various trials, the waves that come. But where's your faith? I've been knocked around by everything. You know, we've got to have our faith rested in Jesus, in the person of Jesus. This is intimacy, folks. When you read the Word, it's what is God saying to me? What is He giving me? And you've got to have that. It's intimacy with Him. And then He says, talks about a good conscience. Now, faith and a good conscience, I want to put those two together because to me, a good conscience is the application of your faith. You know, I don't just receive something and, oh, I, I believe it. No, I, I wrestle with things. So when I receive something... I wrestle, is this true? And before it comes from here, it has to move from here to here before it becomes a conviction. And so Timothy's saying, take it, receive it, nourish your faith. Because talking about your faith, it's so precious. Remember what we just read, the preciousness of your faith. So there's a sense in which you've got to nourish it, you've got to look after it, you've got to grow it, you've got to look after, guard it, do all the things to keep that faith because it's so precious in the Lord. And then, but for that thing to move from here to here, it needs to be applied. And that's where the testing of your faith is so important. So the, the waves need to come. Sometimes we look at the waves and we think, oh, it's Satan, and we're trying to protect ourselves from it. Actually, it needs to happen because that is the testing of your faith. Think of it like, let's go back to the ship. How do you know how much water to fill in your tanks to, to balance the, the, the ballast that's within you? It's Because it's, let's face it, things change in, in, in the world. You think of the sea. You think of a ship going through the sea. There's sometimes there's frequent waves. There's heavy waves. Sometimes there's long waves and long amplitudes and all these things that make up a wave. Think of a ship going in the ocean. They're not always constant. It's not always a constant thing. And so there's actually, do you know, there's actually a science behind ballasts um, engineering. When you go into, I, I used to know a guy who used to be a pilot in the harbors. And uh, he, you knew him as well, Peter. And he used to tell me about that because he used to take the big heavy tankers um, which used to come into the harbor. And he's, obviously the pilots were the guys that knew the harbor. So they knew exactly how to navigate the ship into the harbor. But I still remember him telling me, you know, you can't just, if you see something, you can't just push the brakes and think this thing's going to stop. There's a lot of calculations you've got to go through. And, you know, the, the balancing of this boat with the ballasts, he was just telling me how... Just how much detail is involved because of the weight of what these boats carry. The reason I'm saying this is because, you know, there isn't a fixed thing. There isn't just a formula and say, well, I'm just going to do this. And if I just do this like this, it's going to help. No, Satan is very strategic. Sometimes the waves are long. Sometimes they're constant. Sometimes they're bombarding with short waves. You know, they're different. And so there isn't just a formula to this. That's why we've got to hear the Lord. We've got to constantly be receiving what He has for us. And so I was just reminded of James, you know, talking about this thing has to become rooted in our conscience, has to move from here to here, where James says that we're not just hearers of the Word, but that we doers. James 1 verses 2 to 4 says, My brethren, count it all joy that when you fall into various trials, 
knowing that the, what? the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and completely lacking nothing. You really want to wage a good warfare. This is it. I want to lack nothing when I face the enemy. Because let me tell you, if, I've, if I'm inadequate, you know, we can often say, you know, I've just got Christ. No, he's saying here, it's through this that you become sufficient in Christ. That you may be perfect, completely lacking nothing. And so, you know, so going back to ballasts, I just want to quickly go back there. The thing of the ship, when it, when it goes through and navigates through the, through the ocean, I think there's something you've got to understand about a ballast. It really revolves around the center of gravity is what makes this thing balanced. It's the center of gravity of the ship. When you go through various trials, it's like Jesus has to be the center of gravity in us. He's got to be the one that we revolve everything around. And I'm just reminded of 2 Timothy 3 where it says, For men will be, it talks about the last days. People that don't have the faith. It says, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know, all those things flow from being a lover of self. But if Jesus is the center of gravity, he's the one in which everything revolves in our lives, our, our kids our marriages, our jobs, our finances, our worries. We've got to bring those things subject to Jesus. Every anxiety we have, every fear. You see, because when those waves come, if it's not Jesus as the center of gravity, you're going to tip. And so we have to fill it with Jesus, not with those things. And that's why Colossians 3 verses 1 to 4 says, If then you are raised with Christ, seek those things which are above sitting at the right hand, uh, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above, not the things of the earth. For you've died and your life is hidden in Christ, in God. When Christ, who is the life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so that's my heart really for this year, is that we make Jesus the center of gravity, that, that ultimately our ballasts are filled with faith. And good conscience that when we wage this good warfare that Paul is talking about, that we can take the trials, we can take what 2024 has for us. Are you guys ready for it? I don't know about you, but I'm ready. Not in myself, I know Benny can't do anything. I'm ready because I know what God has given me that I, that I can handle those waves, that I can handle 2024, that we as a body can grow in what God has for us. Because we, we, we're at war, church, we're, there's a warfare ahead. The enemy's after us, and he's not asleep. And we need to be aware of his devices. We need to be aware that you're not living your own life. You're not just living for yourself. And I felt this evening God's wanting to commission us for 2024. He's, he has commissioned us. Jesus has already done it. But I feel almost like to some of us, there's a, almost like an awakening that needs to happen as we face this year. There's a get ready. That's what God's got for you. But the enemy's also aware of of that cool just as we close I, I don't want to presume everybody here has received Jesus as Lord and Savior you haven't made him Lord and I, I've been talking about a, an army here this this evening and can I say the Bible says that if you haven't received Jesus as Lord 
you're actually at war with God. That's quite a heavy thought. That's quite a heavy statement to make. But you're actually at war with God. The Bible says the carnal mind. When you see, when you receive Jesus, you at, the Bible says you become peace with him through his son. But um, if you haven't received him, you're at war. Why? Because everything in your mind, everything in your heart is not living for him. It's living for yourself. And if you're living for yourself, you're actually living for the enemy. You're living for the world. And the Bible says if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. And so even tonight, can we just bow our eyes quickly, bow our heads and close our eyes? Because I, I want to throw it out there. If you've never made Jesus as Lord and Savior of, of your life, tonight can be the night that you do that. Is there anybody here that hasn't received him? I want to just create an opportunity. I'm not going to rush by. But you can, while well, all the eyes are closed, just maybe put up your hand so we can recognize you. You know, it's God's heart that none should perish but have everlasting life. Jesus came to save us. He came to make a way that we can receive him for eternal life. Is there anybody here? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know, but I'm, I'm feeling also for some people here this, this evening that you have given your life to the Lord, but you, you're actually going through a lot of trials. You've been shaken. The winds have been hard on you. And I feel specifically lately they've been hard. But I want to say tonight, you know, Jesus is the one who can speak to that storm. He's the one that stills the water. You know, the amazing thing is when you read that scripture, when, when Jesus actually commanded that the, the winds be still, the disciples were with him in the boat. And you know, the amazing thing is, is when they heard Jesus do that and they saw the winds just stop, it says they were terrified of Jesus. <laughs> there, was a, there was an awareness that this is the commander of everything. He's the one who's the commander of the waves, of the storms in our lives. And maybe that's you, and I feel God's wanting to command those storms to be still. And that doesn't mean the storms around you are just going to, or the things around you are just going to come into place, but that there's a settling in your heart, there's a peace that takes place, that Jesus has got this. And so maybe that's you. Maybe you've been in a storm lately, and you're facing this challenge, and you don't know how to get rid of it, but I'm really feeling in the Lord that you come before Him this evening. Can I ask if that's you? Maybe you can stand. Stand before the Lord.